St. Luke from the 20th chapter. Glory to you, O Christ. Our gospel this morning is indeed from St. Luke. It is Luke 20, verses 9 through 20, and it can be found on page 1633 in your pew Bible. Luke records, Then he began to tell the people this parable. A certain man planted a vineyard, and he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country for a long time. Now at vintage time, he sent a servant to the vine dressers that they might give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the vine dressers beat him, and they sent him away empty-handed. And again, he sent another servant, and they beat him also, and they treated him shamefully, and they sent him away empty-handed. And again, he sent a third, and they wounded him also, and they cast him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Probably they will respect him when they see him. But when the vine dressers saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, Certainly not. And then he looked at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Whoever falls on that stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. And the chief priests and the scribes that very hour sought to lay hands on him, but they feared the people, for they knew that he had spoken this parable against them. And so they watched him, and they sent spies who pretended to be righteous that they might seize on his words in order to deliver him to the power and the authority of the governor. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus. So the parable today in today's gospel is, is very disturbing. You know, the response of the people reveals to us that it was disturbing. When Jesus told this parable to the people, they responded with the words, Surely not. And they responded with these words in the hope that there was still time 
to avoid the dire prophecy in the parable. The parable takes place in and around a vineyard. And this vineyard represents the special heritage that God gave to his people, Israel. And the owner corresponds to the Lord. And then the tenants represent the people of Israel, especially especially the religious leaders, such as priests, the Levites, the scribes, and so forth. The agents that the owner sent to collect rent represented the prophets that God had sent to his people. And then, of course, there's the son that the owner sent to collect the rent. And Jesus is very obviously talking about himself. And just as the tenants threw the son out of the vineyard and killed him, so the religious leaders would arrange to have Jesus marched out of Jerusalem and killed on a cross. And Jesus ended the parable with the verdict against the evil tenants when he pose this, what then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. God, God deeply desires to give his rich heritage of salvation to all people. But those who reject who reject salvation will have no part in it and as we study the parable the question really comes up it almost screams to be asked and that is what was this owner thinking when he sent his son to collect the rent. Who in their right mind is going to do that? And if it were a normal earthly owner of the time, he would send the first agent, period. And when the first agent returned all beat up, the typical landover, landowner of the time would send many of his clan to collect the rent with extreme prejudice. Now, in our day and age, we would call the police and ask them to arrest those criminals and prosecute them to the full extent of the law. And the one thing that we would never do was to send our son to collect the rent after the tenants had put three of our rent collectors in the hospital. No earthly landowner would send his son into this situation. And even so, that is exactly what God the Father did with his son. You see, in spite of our tendency to treat his servants, our neighbors, like yesterday's trash, God still loves us. 
And it is in that love that he sent his son in spite of the fact that he knew that he would die. And as the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write this, if you were to read Romans 5, verse 8, it says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And it is interesting that all Christians know that Jesus loves them. Right? Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so, right? But did you know that in all four Gospels, in all four, there is only one account of Jesus actually saying, I love you? Did you know that? Only once. In the four Gospels, I'll give you a clue. It's one of the sons of thunder. The one who, one of the sons of thunder, it's in one of those. That's all I'm going to tell you. I'll tell you at the end, because I don't want you looking through your Bible right now. But the reason that we know that Jesus loves us is that he demonstrated that love with his life, with his suffering, his death, and his resurrection. And he came into this world even though he knew that he would die a horrible, cruel death. And instead of talking about love, Jesus actually does love. So let's think about it. As the Son of God, Jesus lived in the glory and in the holiness of heaven. And the truth is, that he left heaven to spend nine months in the womb of the Virgin Mary. That is the way that Jesus says, I love you. And then after his birth, he had to spend about 33 years surrounded by sinful human beings. That is the way that Jesus says, I love you. Now, Satan made Jesus his personal project with relentless temptation. And despite all of that, Jesus never sinned. That is the way that Jesus says, I love you. So then we hear and we have the ultimate demonstration of God's love for us. And nothing more clearly demonstrates God's love for us than the suffering and crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Jesus suffered more than just the pain of the crucifixion on that cross. You'll recall, and, and we will hear again in the next few weeks, when Christ cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was experiencing something that we cannot even understand. And that is that somehow, 
one part of the triune God was forsaking another part. And we can't even imagine what that means except to say that forsakenness was infinitely more painful than the physical pain of the cross. And it is in that agony that Jesus demonstrated his love for us in a way that can't be expressed by a mere word. You cannot talk about God's love for us unless you talk about Jesus on the cross. And if you do not talk about Jesus on the cross, then you are not talking about God's love for us. Now, Jesus has a vision for the church. He, the Holy Spirit actually inspired Luke, the evangelist, to record an account of that vision. When Jesus spoke to his disciples, if you were to look up Luke 24, verses 46 through 47, Jesus said, And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And then verse 47 says, And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. It is in this vision statement that Jesus tells his church that they are to tell of his love by proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins to all nations. Now, since God has planted us here in Westminster, California, Jesus' vision for us is to proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins to Orange County, California, as well as across the state and throughout the world. Now, since this is Christ's vision, I have to proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins every time that we gather in this place. That is how Jesus has told me to serve his love to you. And if I do not tell you something about repentance and the forgiveness of sins, then I have really not told you about God's love. We find God's love in holy baptism. When Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, he purified the waters of baptism by taking the sin of the world onto himself. And when someone acted as the agent of God in your baptism, they applied liquid love to your body when they applied the water of baptism according to Christ's command. The union of baptism continues throughout our lives as we regularly confess our sins to God and then we receive his forgiveness. And when I say those words as you're called an ordained servant of Christ and by his authority, I declare to you 
the entire forgiveness of your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. When I say those words, Jesus is saying, I, I love you. And one night, on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and the wine and he instituted his supper. And he made the promise that whenever we consecrate the elements of bread and wine according to his command, he will somehow be present in those elements. It's his promise. He will be somehow in those elements. And he has promised that he will give us his body and his blood in, with, and under the bread and the wine of the sacrament. And that body is the body that died on the cross, but now lives forevermore. And that blood is the blood that he shed on the cross, but now is a, is a living blood. And so when I distribute the elements of the supper, of his supper, I have the overwhelming privilege of placing the love of Christ into your mouth in the form of his body and his blood. And the very nature of this distribution of these gifts means that I am individually and personally and intimately giving God's love to you. And God is saying, I love you one mouth at a time. So how can anyone blame me for wanting to give you that love every time that we gather in this place. Every time we say the creed, we give a short summary of the love that Jesus did for us. That is, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, buried, descended into hell, raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, promised to return to take us home. All these are the love of God that is done for us in and through Jesus Christ. In the first chapter of the Bible, God tells us about his love in creation. And in the last chapter of the Bible, God tells us that the church is the bride of the Lamb. And the Bible is founded on love from the beginning to the end. And the focus of that love, the focus of that love is the cross. And if, if you do not see love when you look at Jesus, on the cross. If you do not see gospel when you consider his death for you, 
than the rest of the Bible, especially the parable in today's gospel, will be total nonsense. For if love is not the reason for sending his son to certain death, then we are left with only two other choices. And those choices are either God is insane or God is totally evil. And we know he's not. And as the Holy Spirit, again, inspired Paul to write this to the letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 23 through 24, he wrote this. You've heard it before. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Luther commented this, that human wisdom cannot lead to God who reveals himself in the message of the cross. The forgiveness of sins cannot come to us in any other way than the word. Now I could go on and on on all the different ways that God demonstrates his love in the, in the Holy Bible, but we just don't have the time today. And also, um, last week I went 27 minutes. I won't do that again to you today. But Jesus gives us enough love in his word to last an eternity. And we're certainly not going to use it up in one sermon. But I want to close with one last point. That we talked about Christ's vision for the church. And as he has told her to proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins, a pastor must give to his congregation and all who tune in to hear the message each Sunday. A pastor must give to them the proper distinction between law and and gospel. And you may ask, what is that? Well, I'm going to tell you. On the words of Christ in John 7, verse 37, John was the, one of the sons of thunder. Big hint earlier. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And Luther comments on this. He says, there are two simple subjects on which we preach, the law and the gospel. The law produces thirst. It leads the hearer to hell, and then it slays him. The gospel, however, refreshes him and leads him to heaven. Luther's five solas. Sola scriptura. Word alone. Sola fide. Faith alone. Sola gracia. Grace alone. Solas Christus. Christ alone. 
Soli Deo Gloria. Only to God be the glory. And that's what we serve up each Sunday here and every day of the week. In the name of Jesus, amen.